So just a recap, and I want to let you know we're going to be working out of Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. So please open your Bibles and turn there, and we're going to recap from 32, uh, where we were last week. Pastor Ron did a great job with the uh, explanation of the golden calf and everything that took place there. But I wanted to revisit it shortly so that we can see Exodus 33, not as a separate chapter, but a continuation of that story for Moses and everything that he's going through with God and his people. Remember, he's like the middleman. And uh, that's a tough position to be in. And I think we can all appreciate that if you're really kind of the one that's working on your family and you're the one the go-between. Job in the Bible was the guy that was constantly praying for his, for his family. As they were going out and living their lives and partying and doing everything wrong, he was like, but I, I got to stay faithful. I got to stay faithful. And that's what we're going to see in Moses. But I love to set the stage because it really reminds me that I'm no different than the people in this Bible because you go, well, they built a golden calf and I've never done that. I've never gone and out to the yard and just put all the metal in the fire and started worshiping whatever came out. No, that, so I'm much better than these people. But I just want to remind you, Moses said he was going to go up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. But because they got the day wrong, like he went up in the evening and they were like, they were counting that as one day and one night. They were off by one day. The Israelites lost their mind because they were off by 24 hours. Like, that's what's so crazy. Also, too, it only took them six weeks from the Lord instructing them from chapter 19 of Exodus, stay with me, be close to me. I'm doing a new thing in you. Six weeks from that day, they went, we got to build a golden calf. We don't know if Moses is dead or alive. Let's just do what we got to do. I mean, six weeks. And I will let you know, I've sometimes not broken any commandments in six weeks. So I've gone six weeks, maybe seven weeks. And I was like, but the Lord also reminded me, I've gone six minutes and broken a commandment from a prayer. So I just want you to look at this verse so we can remember what they declared back in Exodus 19. It says, the people all responded together after hearing from the Lord. They said, we will do everything the Lord has said. Six weeks later. They broke it. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And so what's happening right now in, in chapter 32 is God is on the mountain, and he's saying to Moses, uh, you need to mosey on down. You got some people, your people. And uh, they're partying too hard, and they're worshiping a graven image. That's, that's the second commandment. We didn't make it even to two commandments. And they're already blowing it. And Moses comes down. The Lord sends him down to, to let him know what, what he has to say. And I love this because there's kind of a crazy little dynamic going on here. The Lord says, I'm very angry with his people. Moses goes down, and he's even angrier than God. He picks up the tablet, and he breaks it. And I find that fascinating because you could just imagine what's going through Moses' mind. Like, it's, like, it's like a mom or a dad. I leave for 40 minutes, and you guys can't do anything right. And so what does he do? He breaks the two tablets because the people already broke the commandments. And he's thinking, well, why not? And so what does he do? He destroys the golden calf. He grinds it down to powder, and he makes them drink it. But I want you, if you guys can, before we go into 33, look back in chapter 32. I want you to see how Moses intercedes with an amazing prayer back to God in this moment. At verse 11, chapter 32, verse 11. Let's just dive into this really quick. It says, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it is with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them uh, off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. 
Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land. I promise them, and it will be their inheritance forever. And then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. And so God and Moses, through chapter 32 and 33, are playing a little bit of a ping pong match, aren't they? Your people. No, your people. And that's exactly what's happening. But I love how Moses kind of slides into the conversation. He challenges God with God's own word back to God. And that is something that we should be looking at. Moses prays three things back to the Lord that I find fascinating. And we're going to take these three things into chapter 33. The first thing that he reminds him of is the goodness that you poured out in the past. That's number one. The first thing that you are going to remind God of or when you go into your prayer time, you should look at the Lord, you've been good to me. We've had a good relationship. But then he also hits him with this. You have a grace to us in your present. You, know, you knew who we were when we came out of uh, Egypt. Now, that's not to excuse what they did, but he's like, you are a God of goodness. Pour out your grace right now. But then he attaches what their relationship is going towards together. And that's the glory of the future that's been promised. And so I want to just say to you, as we move forward in life, we should always look at every, every bit of our future as uncertain. Nobody knows what tomorrow brings. Nobody knows what the next 10 minutes brings. Um, but here's something you can do right now. Lord, the only reason I'm here, the only reason I call myself a Christian, the only reason I know you is because you are good. So in the past, you have poured out your goodness. I'm appealing to your grace and your mercy today because you're a good God, and that's what you do. You've forgiven me in the past. You'll forgive me today. And Lord, please don't remove your glory from the future of your people because, Lord, I want to carry that glory. That's what Moses is saying. I want to carry that glory. Basically, what he's doing, he's declaring back to God who God is and saying, I'm submitting to that. I'm recalibrating myself to who you are, not to who I am. And that prayer is awesome because it's done actually in honor and submission. It's saying, I know who you are. We already know who the Jews are. We already know the golden calf worshipers. We know the guys that couldn't wait one more day in their mind. They couldn't go, 40 days was okay, 41 days, too much. That, we already know their impatience. But Lord, may I remind you of who you are. So it's also kind of awesome, too, because the Lord seems to love these kind of prayers. The Lord loves a bold prayer back to him because it's kind of bold, isn't it? The people are downstairs messing up. God's going, go downstairs and fix it. He goes down to the mountain and he goes to fix it. And he's just like, you know what, Lord, though? They are kind of messed up. Let's be real. These are some messed up people. But you're good. They're messed up and you're good. But the reason why we're here is because you're good, not because they're messed up. And I love that the Lord loves that. I love the Lord that there's a certain kind of a challenging tone from Moses as he appeals to God. It's very much holy. It's very much submissive, but it's very much bold in this truth. It's not about who I am. It's about who you are. And there's a power in this prayer that can affect change to the situation. Not that God is compliant to us. It's not that we can control God. It's that we're engaging in the relationship with God and we're saying, you know what? Now that I'm in this situation and I see how broken I really am, I can see how good you really are because you saved me knowing I would come to this place. You saved me time and time again knowing I would fail again and again and again. And yet somewhere in here, I'm finding out who you are. And as I find out who you are, I'm falling in love with you in a deeper way and I see the depth of your character that's what I'm appealing to. 
And so that's the introduction to this chapter. You're going to see chapter 33 kind of slow down. Most of Exodus has been like this. There's been plagues. There's been running out of Egypt. There's been craziness in the desert. But all of a sudden, we're going to have a slow down session between Moses and God. So if you join me in chapter 33, let's go to this awesome chapter. Look at verse 1. And then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt. And go up to the land I promise an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And go up to the land of flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. I love that. Don't make me come back there. You can hear that. I hear my dad. I don't know what you kids are doing in the backseat, but don't make me come back there. Mom, mom, you handle it. That's how I hear. But you can imagine how devastating this is to Moses as well as the people of Israel because it would be like this. Uh, when we left Egypt, you know what we saw? We saw a cloud go behind us as the Egyptians were coming up to kill us and the cloud got in between us and the army of Egypt while the, while the water split, the Red Sea split. We walked through on dry land and then the cloud moved and let the Egyptians go through and then the ground that was once dry became like mud, quicksand, and the Egyptians sunk into it and the water closed. And we praised and worshiped the Lord. And then that cloud covered the sun. And at night, it was a pillar of fire. And it warmed us. And that cloud is what, what Moses would beseech and go, hey, we're hungry. We're sick of manna. We love pancakes. Can we have anything else? And then quail came. And this presence of the Lord was with them wherever they went. And now God is saying, I love you. I'm for you. But my presence can't be here. I am a holy God. And you are unholy. And I will let you know, there is something great that I see inside of this because there is an impatience that, they, that brought them to the losing of the presence of the Lord. Their God was now. Their God was, where's Moses? I think he's dead. Aaron, you got to do something. Let's go. Yet the Lord said, sit here and wait as I build a new nation. Sit here and wait as I form a new way of worshiping. Sit here and wait and let me show you what it means to rely on God. And they couldn't do that. And I will let you know, I love the idea of an angel going with me. Angels are really awesome in the Bible. That's awesome. If you've ever been out late at night and you get to the parking lot and you hear something scurry behind you, an angel would be nice to be with you, right? That would, there's nothing to sniff at. That's great. But is it the presence of the Lord? And you know what? Without the presence of the Lord, even though they've got the instruction for the tabernacle, they will not be able to build the tabernacle. Something to keep in your mind. Without the presence of the Lord, they could not build the tabernacle. Verse 4, and when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. And so I love verse 6. So they stripped it all off, right? So Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. And so, in a way, the people are here, and they're mourning, and they're fasting. And they're recalibrating themselves because they hear that the Lord is speaking. Because, you know, the Lord hasn't said, I'm done with you yet. He says, I want to be done with you by the way you're acting, but he's not done. And this brings us to a very important point. The most dangerous place we can find ourselves is living outside of God's will. And the safest place to be is walking within his loving direction. And you can see that really strong in the, in the disciples' life, can't you? I mean, how many times did they come 
How many times did the disciples come to Jesus and say something stupid? And you, if you were standing next to him with your knowledge of today, you'd be like, shh, 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 don't, don't say that. It's the dumbest thing. It's going to end up in the Bible and everyone's going to talk about you. But what did the Lord do? He just lovingly guided them, lovingly directed them. He didn't fry them with electricity. He goes, that's the dumbest thing I said. Yeah, I've ever heard. I'm going to shoot you. You know, like he didn't say, he didn't snap his finger and they disappeared. He said, let me keep shepherding you. Let me keep being with you. And I love that. I love that about God. But when you are stepping outside of God's will and people say that, oh, Joey, in counseling, I hear this all the time. I'd love to do what you're asking me to do, but I'm a little bit drifting, but God and I have an agreement. And I'm like, have you read chapter 32? Have you read chapter 33? And this is something we have to calibrate. Everything that we do is based on this fact that the moment that you step outside of the will of God, you are now entering into the world. And the Lord has said, when you were in the world, you know what that looks like, Egypt. But now that you're with me, I touch a rock and water comes out of it. I bring you quail and manna whenever you need it. Your shoes will not break down this whole 40 years because I've ordained it. The safest place for you to be is to be in the presence of God. And I'm also reminded of the burning bush. Just think about this. There's this bush and it's burning and Moses is approaching it and he's looking at it and that's gotta be so disturbing to a shepherd who's probably thinking about what this means. But as he looks at this bush that's not burning, it's full of the fire of God, but it's not consumed. Why? Because God chose not to consume it. And here you have Moses standing on the mountain for 40 days in the fire of God, in the lightning of God, in the presence of God, and he's not consumed. Why? Because God loves Moses. We need to be inside the will of God, and that's the glory that God does is he shares his goodness with us, doesn't he? I don't deserve it. By all, if I was God, I would have been fried like 25 years ago, 25 times over, right? But God in his glory has said, you know what? I'm going to take my goodness and I'm going to put it in you and I'm going to refine you and I'm going to purify you and I'm going to lift you up by holy love. That's my glory. And that's who we are today. And I would no doubt, without a doubt, and without exception, the safest place to be is right now for Israel is to take off their adornments, to take off the world, to put it away and get recalibrated with the Lord. And I want to let you know why this is so important. As the Lord is dealing with Israel, there's no such thing as a victimless sin. There's no such thing as a victimless sin. Someone sins in the camp of Israel, we're all going to pay the consequences. Isn't that fascinating? And you can see that apply to families. You can see that apply even maybe into a church. If a pastor falls, does the church feel it? Yes, because there is no such thing as a victimless sin. Everybody has to pay, including Jesus, all the way down to all of us. And you can see that. I don't know if you remember in Jericho. Remember the Lord says as the people are walking around Jericho and they win, he goes, I just want you to give me all the loot from this place. Just this one city. We're going to conquer a whole nation. If you could give me all the loot from one place, this would be your first fruit offering to me. Just give me the first one. And one guy was like, oh, that looks like a lot of good stuff. Let me go back to my tent and bury it. And then Joshua goes to do the next battle and he's going, we're going into the promised land. We got God on our side. We can't lose. And they lost. Why? Because one person sinned. And God judged a whole community. And then Joshua had to go back to God and go, what went wrong? And he's like, somebody's out of line. 
Somebody is not putting me in their well and, and them themselves inside of my will. And you know what he said? I, I would give you whatever you like, but you didn't listen. And this is God's threat right now to his people. I must remove myself because I'm a holy God and you're acting unholy. So I must remain holy. So what I need to do is I need to push away from you guys. I will still ordain certain things. I will still hold true to my promises. But the only reason I'm holding true to my promises is because somebody stepped in the way. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody came alongside and said, Lord, let me remind you of your goodness. And we have that today, don't we? Right now in the book of Hebrews, we have a high priest that's going, I know you saw everything Joey did today. I know. We all saw it. Everybody in heaven saw it. But Lord, I want to remind you, you put me on the cross for him. I died for Joey. My blood was shed for Joey. So let's continue into that meeting that we're going to see. Now, verse 7, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Of course, what else would you call it? Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. That's amazing. Do you hear it? At one time, they were worshiping a golden calf. Now they're going, whoa, 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 whoa. Our high priest is moving, and he's going towards the tent of meeting. What's about to go down? Our God is about to move. And when God moves, good things happen. And as Moses went to the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. And the Lord would speak, Moses, speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And so this is interesting because this little tent of the meeting is kind of like shoved in the chapter. It doesn't actually flow with the whole chapter, but it's almost like an afterthought that somebody put in and goes, I want to kind of connect you where Moses' relationship is with the Lord. It's awesome because Moses is writing it. So he's like, I want to remind you how awesome my relationship with the Lord is. And there's just a few things that I want to remind you that's in this. This is not the tabernacle. Moses is 80 years old. I went online and Googled Mount Sinai. It's 4,000 feet. So every time he had to go up, down, up, down that mountain, every time people messed up, and he's like, I got to go up 4,000 feet because you guys did this again. And you know what? I'm going to move the tent down here. So I just have to go around the street and then, you know, just talk to God. And I appreciate that about him. But I want to just point out a couple things for you. We're going to find out that later in this chapter, Moses is going to ask to see the face of the Lord. And you're like, but they already talk face to face. This particular part where it says face to eye, face, to face like friends is more like if two people were at a, like think if they were like at a table and they leaned in and talked to each other because they had something important to talk about. So, the Lord, so Moses doesn't actually see God's face, but he is speaking intimately with the Lord. And I want to let you know, that's such a crazy, awesome honor to have, right? To so the Lord say, let's you and I talk like friends. I would be like, wow, that's awesome, Lord. And can you imagine that honor? Abraham had that honor. He was a friend of God. Moses would have that honor. And Jesus would say to you today in this room, if you are my, fr you are my friend, if. Look at this verse, John 15. This is what we're studying on the weekends. You are my friends if you do what I command. That's a very strong word. It's not you are just my disciples or you are just my Christians. You are my followers. You are my friends if. 
I want to just remind you how awesome this moment's going to be. Imagine you get to heaven and you walk through the pearly gates, right? And you see Jesus, and of course, we got to go through the motions. You're going to weep. You're going to cry. You're going to laugh. You're going to dance. You're going to do it all. You're going to hug Jesus, and Jesus is like, okay, let me show you around. Here's my friend, John. I want to introduce you to everybody. Can you imagine him saying your name and going, hey, here's Moses. I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Joey. Wouldn't that be an amazing moment? And you just think about that is how special that relationship was. And that's what God desired when he said, I want to dwell with you, was friendship, relationship, real conviction between two people that care for each other. And you can see that in, and they look back at verse 11, his aide, Joshua, he wouldn't even leave the tent. He wouldn't even leave the tent as the presence of the Lord left. Why? Because he just wanted to stay there in the afterglow. And I love that because it wasn't, it wasn't just enough just to see the, the cloud come down. I just have to bask in it. God was here. I know this is going to be very trivial. It would be kind of like when I was dating Jackie and she would leave and her perfume would stay. I'm like, oh, <laughs> makes my stinky car smell so great. We were dating at the time. I was like, oh, you know, bachelor car, right? And I was like, but her presence is still here. It's so great. And this is where Joshua is, a man of God that was like, I just want to linger wherever God is. This is true love. This is true conviction. And this isn't just obedience. I'm not obeying God because he might blow us up. I'm not obeying God because he might leave. I love you, God. We are best friends. Let's continue to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. And you have said, I know you by name and you have, you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. Ping pong, right? Right back. Just so you remember, these are your people. I love that he goes, he goes just right back at the Lord. And the Lord replies, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Isn't that an amazing declaration of God after everything that happened in chapter 32? And why did this take place? Because the Lord wanted an intercessor. The Lord wanted somebody to be bold enough to stand up and preach about the goodness of God back to God in this situation. And how fast did it change? It changed from chapter 32 to 33. I'm no longer going with you. I'll send an angel. I don't want anything to do with you. You guys are a stiff-necked people. But Lord, don't you know how good you are? And you said you loved me and... We have a great thing going. Can't we just get back to that goodness? Okay. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And it was just that fast. And how quick is Jesus to for, forgive us today? In the name of Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. How fast are we forgiven? Immediately. How fast is the situation rectified? Immediately. Why? Because there was a severance in the relationship. The presence had to go. Why? Because I had said to the Lord, I am living in rebellion when I choose sin, but then when I come back to repentance, I'm saying, that way didn't work. I need you. I don't just need forgiveness. I need you. I don't just need mercy. I need to be with you. Please don't remove your goodness from my life. Look at verse 15. I love this part. I don't know if you're going to pick on how stressed Moses is here. Listen to this. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. You hear it? The Lord already answered him. What did he say in 14? My presence will go with you. I love how stressed, because he's still talking at God. The Lord's going, I'll go with you. And he's like, yeah, but if you did it. It's kind of like if you ever get that call where you, you agree with the person, mom, mom, hey, are you coming home for Thanksgiving? Of course I'm coming home for Thanksgiving. Yeah, because if you weren't, I'll tell you. And you're like, mom, 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 I am already agreeing with you. 
But that's where it is. There's a, there's a passion that's flowing through Moses. He's saying, you know what? If you don't move, I can't move. If you don't move, I can't move. If you don't go, I can't go. If you don't love these people, I don't know what to do. And can you imagine today if the Christians of this church said, Lord, I'll only move when you move and when you sit still, I'll sit still. Can you imagine if the churches today said, Lord, we don't want to get behind you and we don't want to get in front of you. We want to be in lockstep with you. Where would we be as a church? That's the determination and the necessity in Moses' heart. He's just saying, I don't have a goal and I don't need to rush into it. I have urgency for one thing, you. And whatever you want, that's what I want. And whatever you don't want, Lord, that's what I want. That's what I have an urgency in from my heart. Since we've left Egypt, the only thing I've learned to do is rely on you and love you. Now look at verse 16. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? He's still going. I love it. The Lord's answered him. He's still going. He's revved up. But what he's really saying in here is something amazing. He's saying, God, there is nothing special about us. You make us special. We left Egypt. That's great. We're free. We're no longer slaves. That's great. But what now what? I live for a purpose, and that purpose is to be with you. You make us who we are. My identity is wrapped up in you. Is there anything special in me apart from you? No. And so that's the amazing thing. Think about this. What made us special in this room tonight is Jesus chose us. And Jesus loved us. And Jesus continues to love us. And there we came here tonight for the presence of the Lord. And that's the danger for churches today. I want to let you know. A lot of churches, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, including myself, can do this. Think that there's something special about me because I am a Christian. Like I can focus on me. Like I'm above it all. The only thing that separates me and you from the rest of the world is Jesus Christ. We're all broken sinners. That's it. There's no special aura about us. There's nothing fancy. There's nothing that has lifted me up that I have not done on my own. It's just been received from God. And that's the sweetness of a service like tonight. We can worship together, all broken sinners, and know that we've been restored. We've all been redeemed. We've been all put together by God, and there's a sweetness in that. And the moment we turn away from that and say, well, I'm better than this person, or it's because of you know, the decisions I made or in my strength, the sweetness becomes sour. And no longer do you have the awesome presence of the Lord. You just have a sour church service. I remember... Um, going to a beautiful church in Germany, and it was inlaid with gold. And I walked in, it was my first time here. They had actual Gregorian Latin chant. And it was just awesome. I'm like, it's like a Tuesday afternoon. What's going on? And these guys are doing, you know, they're doing, I won't do it for you, but they're singing in their Latin. And I was like, I'm like, am I in heaven? And there's cherubim and beautiful paintings. And I got on my knees and prayed to the Lord because I actually needed to pray to God about a decision I needed to make. And God met me there. And you would go, of course God met you there. It was beautiful. You heard the Latin and the beautiful paintings and it was great. But I also remember going to a colonia in Mexico. It's the dump. And there was a family that was living there. And they did not know the Lord and they did not think that the Lord loved them. And we were on a mission trip. And I remember going into their house and their house was built into the garbage. And there were spiders and scorpions everywhere. And we led them to the Lord and we prayed with them. And I remember weeping as I went outside of that place because we were going to go build them a new home and the Lord met us there. You know what made that place special? Jesus. Nothing else made that place special. And that's what the Lord is, that's what Moses is making that appeal to the Lord. He's saying, you are everything. You are 
You are what makes us sweet. You are what makes life great. And look at the Lord's response in verse 17 to when the people of God humbly submit to the Lord. He says, the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. That's amazing. If you think about it, that's kind of counterintuitive to chapter 32 because if Aaron had conducted himself like this, God knows my name. He knows what my calling is. I don't care what you guys think you want to build today. We're not going to do it. And if they said, you know what, we're going to kill you, Aaron, he'd go, do your worst because I'm a man of God. Or if they just ignored him and went away and he'd go, I don't care what, if you think I'm the worst person on the planet or you're going to hate me for the rest of the time in the, in the desert, it doesn't matter. I know what God thinks I am. And I know how close I am to the Lord and I know what value he places for me. And look, there's, you can see a maturity inside of Moses. In Exodus chapter three, he was running from the presence of the Lord. In Exodus 33, he's running to the presence of the Lord in the middle of crisis. Just think about what we've seen over the last 80 years of Moses' life. For the first 40 years, he was in Egypt thinking he was somebody special. Oh, I'm going to save Israel. That's going to be great. I'm awesome. I'm Egyptian and I'm Israeli and I'm going to save everybody. It's great. I can murder a person if I want to and everyone will worship me and think that's fantastic. And the moment crisis hit, what did he do? He ran to get away from God. Of course, the Lord chased him down in the desert. But in verse 33, in the middle of crisis, he runs to God. 44 years later, he finds out he is a nobody. Just think about that. He thought he was somebody. Now he knows he's a nobody apart from God. But what is he discovering in the desert? That the Lord wants to call him friend. And that because the Lord calls him friend, the Lord can love anybody. The end result is this, Lord, don't leave me. I am nothing without you. That's his plea. And what's God's response to us? I am pleased. And I know you by name. And that's really the essence of this whole book, isn't it? Isn't that the essence of Exodus? Isn't that the essence of the Bible? Him invading our story with a deeper grace than we could know, no matter how dark you are, my light will outshine it. No matter how much you've messed up, my, my strength is stronger than any of the messages you have. No matter how far you run, I can run and chase you for eternity. His grace comes into our life and lifts us out of his problems by merely his loving presence. That's it. He showed up and the whole story of Israel changed. And he remains in his authority, and he remains triumphant in this way. I am holy, and you are not, but I will make you holy because I chose to. Because my goodness flows through me, and I love you. Now look at verse 18. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. Now you hit a Bible verse, and you, if I was there with Moses, I'd be like, you're already ahead. That's... I think, you're, I think you're pushing it now. You know, like we have a good thing going. The Lord's saying nice things. We're saying nice things. We're all real friendly. And now Moses goes, okay, okay, everything's going good. Now show me your glory. And you're like, whoa, buddy. We're bold, but we're not that bold. That's too bold. Look at verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I love that verse. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Verse 21, the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed.
past. And then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And that's the interesting part of this verse, right? It's because the Lord, I almost feel like the Lord, I mean, I'm personifying here. This is a Joey commentary. This is not scriptural. I feel like the Lord's like, okay, all right, Moses, getting a little ahead of yourself. I think he's almost chuckling, but he does honor him in this way. He says, you can see my backside. Now, this isn't the backside of a person, like you have a front and a back. Think of it more like when a comet leaves and you see its trail. And the trail is enough to light Moses' head up like a neon bulb. And that's just the trail end of God's presence. And when he leaves and goes down to the mountain, you know, down to see the people after of chapter 33 and 34, they're going to be like, I can't even look at you. You're glowing. But that's what's amazing about us serving an invisible God. Sometimes we can think that it's a handicap as a Christian. You can hear people say, well, where is God? Prove it. Point to it. And that's where the Lord is right here. You don't understand. I can't show you me because if I did, you would burn up. You would die. And that's God's mercy to us. But does he still desire to be with us? Yes. Now you know why the importance of Jesus Christ. Now you know the importance of why we study the book of John on the weekend, the desire and the passion to be with you. This is how deep God's zeal is. I will put my son here on the earth and on the cross and in the tomb because I desire to not only be with you, I desire to be in you and around you and through you. I desire to bring you deeper into the ministry. I desire you to wear my name as a banner. Look at John chapter 14 through 18. I'm sorry, John chapter 1. Verses 14 through 18. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Skip on down to 16. It says, out of fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? We've received grace on top of grace. You ever, you ever like, I always put, put it this way. I'm totally getting off script here. Do you ever get like a key lime pie and want just a little bit more crust? <laughs> right? You're just like, I just want a little bit more crust. I like, can I have a little bit more whipped cream? Can I have a little bit? Grace upon grace. What is that grace? Look at this. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Do you hear it? There's grace and truth and then there's the law. But what, is it, what, did we, what did we receive? Did we receive the law? No, we received Jesus Christ on top of the law. No one has ever seen God, but the only one, the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. When you see the translation in this, Moses pitched a tent outside of the camp and he sat down to have a great relationship with the Lord. And the Lord said, you know, that's great, but I actually want to be there and hold you. And then I want to pay for your sins. I want to lift you up. I want to bear your shame and your guilt. I want to look you in the eye when you get to heaven and know for a fact how deep my love ran. As dark as your sin was, my grace ran deeper. And I was willing to meet you there. I was not willing to let you go. I was not willing to let you drift. I was not willing to let you leave the fold. I left the 99 to go find every single one of you the one. And that's the ministry, to add grace to grace. We experience, yes, the desire that God wants to be with us, but then we experience it in a deeper way when Jesus goes, and here I am. Here I am. Now you won't die. Now you have access to the throne room of God. Now you know for a fact that Jesus loves you because I came and died and bled for you. 
And this is an incredible declaration. Could you think about this? How much patience did God have for Israel? Take a step back. How much patience would you have for Israel? Now compare that to God's patience, right? And so the Lord is showing us that the only way he's going to redeem you is through relationship. But the only way you can enter into that meeting place, the only way you can go into the throne room of God is if not by what way? By the mere fact that Jesus Christ came to you first. God wants to meet with you and he wants to be with you. And what's the proof that he wants to be your friend? Join me in this verse on screen. John 15, verses 13 through 17. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. There's that word again. You are my friends if you do what I command. I will no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Isn't that amazing? And appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit for fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And just so you know that the ministry of God's love doesn't just come and stop at you. It goes through you. Look at verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. Not only does God embrace you and pull you into his goodness and his glory and his legacy, he asks you to be a part of it. He asks you to be the front man for it. He asks you to be the ambassadors of his love. Is there any more deeper endorsement than that? Not only do I want you to be my family, I want you to represent my family. And that's the victory of the love in our friendship with Christ. And something we cannot forget. We have a lot of different ministries in our life. You could always say, well, Joey's in the ministry. He has a responsibility to get up here and preach. This is his job. Maybe I get involved in like a different ministry, but you have so many ministries. Your first ministry is to you and God, right? They have to have that important. And then you have a ministry to your family. Lead your family to God. But sometimes I forget myself, and maybe you forget, we neglect this. We have a ministry to God. We have a ministry to our friend to remind him of his goodness. Now, obviously, we can never preach anything new to the Lord and him be like, wow, I never heard that before. But what we can do is remind ourselves as we're reminding God this amazing thing. Remember that prayer from chapter 32? It takes us all the way to the end of chapter 33. And I would just encourage you, no matter if you're in a crisis or you're not, to pray this prayer and minister to the Lord. God, remember your goodness you poured out on me already. God, you are good. Has anyone experienced God's goodness? If you had just like an evening, maybe tonight, maybe another night, to remind God of all the good things he did, how long would that last? Right? Forever. A good thing we have eternity, right? God, I receive your grace in the presence. Why do we know? Jesus Christ. I failed. I failed today. There was a snake that ran across the driveway right when I was pulling stuff out of the car. And I'm going to let you know, I don't know what I was thinking, but things shot through my head. I failed. I just want to let you know that. I was so scared of that little thing. It was this big. And you laugh at me, but I'm very embarrassed and shameful of what I thought in my head. But I, you know, I went, Lord, in your grace and in your presence, forgive me. I almost screamed. It was crazy. But then you never forget this. God is not done with us. If he is raising you up and you are his disciple and he is growing you and moving you forward, where is he leading you? To a glory that he has promised in your future. And what is that glory? One day you will walk through the pearly gates of heaven and Jesus will go, come on, I want to show you around. I want to introduce you. You're my friend. Oh my gosh, right? Think of you on your worst day and your shepherd coming over to you 
with a hole in his hand, grabbing your hand and going, I want to introduce you as my friend. It's an amazing moment. But let us not neglect that ministry to preach that back to the Lord because it's amazing truth, right? Filled with grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for this chapter. It's a great chapter to slow down and just bask in your glory. Realize how good you are to just take a moment and just meditate on all that you've done for us, all that you're doing, and all that you're going to do. And Lord, I don't really care what the world says. I know what you say and what you say about me. I'm your child, and you are my Lord and my master, and you've called me friend. And if I'm your friend, then Lord, so be it. Lord, I pray that you just continue being good to me, grace-filled Lord, share your glory with me and let me be a representative of your family. Let me be an ambassador for your goodness. Let me preach in the streets of the love that I have shared with you because you are so sweet. Lord, I thank you for the victory that I have over sin and death because you loved me. I thank you for the triumph that I have over all the brokenness and failure in my life because you filled me with your presence. And now I am the tabernacle of God. Lord, I thank you and I praise you In Jesus' holy name, amen.